You are listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon by Pastor Jeremy McCulley, titled Faithfulness, from the series Character Counts. For more information, visit creekside.org. I want to encourage everybody to go to Tacos with Terry. You may or may not believe this, but one year ago, Tacos with Terry was the first thing that my family and I got to go to here. We've been in this church for one year, back in California for one year, and it's fun because it's been an experience for us in God's faithfulness and in what he's doing in our lives and how that works. And so it was interesting to get this topic this morning. As we sat, we were at a wedding last weekend. My wife and I were listening as they... I love weddings because you get to see all the energy and the excitement around putting together a beautiful marriage and the, the fact that these people are just totally into building this relationship. It's a wonderful thing. But as they go through the vows, I like to listen and see, you know, get ideas and see things that I can, I can make better with my wife and things we can do. And they had a part of their vows was each of them pledging to be faithful to one another. And I was actually kind of taken aback because it's rare. I don't hear that most of the time. Most weddings, they, you know, it's not that it's not something that they want to do. It's just a line that they would skip. And it just kind of caught me because I started realizing that we live in a culture of broken marriages where faithfulness isn't the norm, where promises get broken every day. And we can take it all the way down to the TV infomercials where you call up and you buy something that looks excellent on the screen. And when you get it and you take it out of the box, well, you instantly know. They just weren't faithful to that pretty picture. Faithfulness is what we're going to talk about as we've come through the spiritual character traits that we've been talking about. Faithfulness is the next one. And faithfulness is something that I kind of felt like we all have an idea of what it is. But rather than talk about the idea of faithfulness, I thought it would be better if we saw what it looked like. And as I prayed, God brought me back over and over again to the book of Jonah. Now, there's tons of information in Jonah. Jonah is wonderful. Jonah is one of the first explorations of faithfulness my family and I did when my daughter was like three years old or four years old and my son was two. We started reading Jonah and my wife and I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to read Jonah every night. Only takes about 10 minutes. It's short. We're going to read it every night until we stop getting something out of it. And I can tell you, we went beyond six weeks. At six weeks, we were still pulling completely new things out of the book of Jonah. God was faithful to pour out in that time. And what was fun also with that was watching as about two weeks in, my four-year-old starts reciting the book with me as I'm reading. You see, it's very rhythmic. It's a fun book. Even though it is actually a book of prophecy, there's only one line of prophecy. The entire rest of it is a story. And it's a story that brings us examples, beautiful examples, some that are wonderful and encouraging and make us go, yes, that's what I want to be like, and other ones that are discouraging and challenging and make us go, oh, I hate it when I'm like that. That's what we're going to look at today. So if everybody would look, turn their books, their Bibles to the book of Jonah, and yes, I want you to know we are going to go through the entire book of Jonah, and I'm still going to be faithful to my time slot. So we're going to pick up in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, and this is what it says. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, for its wickedness has come up before me. 
Okay, that's as far as I can make it before we got to stop. This is the beginning. We begin with God's faithfulness. Now, it'll be fun because we'll see it's also where we're going to end. But without God's faithfulness, there's no beginning to this book. Nobody would lift up Jonah's eyes and point and tell him to do something. What we see here that pulls us in is that God is listening. He's involved. He's active in what's going on in the world around us. Now, we don't know when it says that their wickedness has come up before him. We don't know if it's because they're going, we are so awesome, we are better than God. Or if it's that his people are praying and saying, Lord, these people hate us. They're mean. Have you seen what they've done to the other nations that they got? They're wicked. Do something before they come for us. We don't know what it is that makes their wickedness come up before God, that he notices. But what we know is that he notices and he cares. And so he's reaching into a situation that's there. He begins by being involved and active. And that brings us to our first point. You see, faithfulness is who he is being involved where we are at. Faithfulness is being involved in where other people are at. Just so you know, if you look at your notes page, I'm going to go through a bunch of different pictures of what faithfulness is as we talk this morning. And then each one of those points seems to ask us questions about who we are. I put all of that into your notes. I don't want you to get a hand cramp trying to write all the things that I put up. Learning what faithfulness is wasn't a three-point outline. It's not a scientific subject that we can derive. But it is something I want us to be able to walk out of here and ask ourselves questions. To look at who we are, what we believe, and how we act. So when we look at faithfulness being just being involved, it leads us to the question of how interested are you in the lives of those around you? See, God takes interest in us. It's amazing. He cares enough to look. Does the pain that other people are involved in motivate you to action? Does it make you want to do something? Because the whole reason this book exists is because God is motivated by the difficult times that we go through. He's always paying attention to you. And so we pick up in verse 3. It says, but Jonah, what a miserable way to have your description start off. The first one was about God's character, and the first word for Jonah is but. Not the way you want to be. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. This is one of the biggest buts in the Bible when we realize that God's character versus Jonah's is the beginning of this entire story. Jonah is not going to be faithful. He's going to be exactly what we wouldn't want to see. Jonah is the guy who knows God, believes God, follows God, and even delivers God's messages. We see in 2 Kings Chapter 14, verse 25, that the entire nation was celebrating because there was a prophecy fulfilled by this prophet named Jonah 
the son of Amittai. He wasn't just somebody who wasn't known. He wasn't just some random person. There's actually some of the books of prophecy in the Bible where this guy's a shepherd and he gets called up. No, this was somebody who knew God. He knew what God was like. He had been delivering God's messages. And yet he refuses to be faithful to his calling. He doesn't just refuse. He doesn't say, no, God, I'm going to sit here. He says, okay, Nineveh is about 500 miles northeast. I'm going to go 1,000 miles due west. Pretty much the edge of the world. Tarshish is probably right around the Rock of Gibraltar, the southern tip of Spain. It's as far as he could go. Not only that, he doesn't risk it by going over land. The Israelites, they didn't like water. He probably didn't know how to, how to swim or anything. They, they had no natural coastline that allowed for a harbor. The harbor of Joppa was actually an artificially built harbor that they had, that they had built um, in one of the conquests. And Jonah says, not only am I going to run from God and keep it safe by staying on land, I'm going to get on a boat and I am getting out of here. Jonah is the picture of a Christian who says, I know exactly what God wants from me, and I have no intention of doing it. I want nothing to do with him and where he's at and what he's doing. It's not always running away physically. Many of us know this. We find other ways to run away. It can be novels that we pour ourselves into. It can be pornography. That one's obviously normally pointed out. It can be divorcing to get out of a difficult situation. It can be avoiding situations where that person you don't want to talk to is. It's any time. We just refuse to go. We know and we won't carry out the response that God gives us. And yeah, it can be as simple is spending all your time on the Facebook on your phone or reading the newspaper. Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33 says that it includes our acknowledgement of God. That if we won't acknowledge Jesus before men, then he won't acknowledge us before God as Father. It's any of these times where we know what God asks us to do and we still run for it. And this brings us to our second point, that faithfulness is always being faithful. See, Jonah had been faithful in the past. God knew. God was using him. Faithfulness is always being faithful, even when it hurts. And believe me, God knows what it's like to hurt when you're being faithful to a promise. But we'll get back to that later. Faithfulness is always faithful, but leads us to the question. It leads us to the simple ones of how dependable are you? Do you stick to it in word and deed? These are straight off of Terry's initial assessment of our character traits. How dependable are we? Is it only when it's good for us? Well, let's see what happens from there. Picking up in verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break apart. All the sailors were afraid, not just the landlubber Jonah, but the people who knew what the ocean should be like. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck. 
where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us and we won't die. We won't perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let's cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country and from what people are you? And he answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made both the sea and the land. He's not just a territorial God of my city. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? Been there, done that. They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea. He replied, and it will become calm. I know it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they couldn't, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, please don't let us die for taking this man's life, and do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O oh Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. God is faithful to chase Jonah. And we see him come out to the ocean to come out and follow this wayward, rebellious servant. And at the same time, to follow the sailors who are with him. Jonah is so comfortable in running away that he is able to go downstairs and fall asleep. While everybody above him's life is in peril. They know what it is. They're actually throwing the cargo overboard. What they would do is buy the cargo with their own money, sail somewhere and sell it, and then they got the profit. They are at a complete loss. This is what's happening. And Jonah's asleep. He doesn't notice or pay attention at all. He's so comfortable that he can do it. And later when he's caught, Notice he'd rather die than obey. So who's being faithful in this section? Who do we see carrying out faithfulness? The sailors? The guys who don't know the Lord? They're caring. The captain comes to him and goes, how can you sleep? Aren't you motivated? Get up and call on your God so that we won't perish. We don't want to die. Aren't you paying attention? Haven't you noticed? 
They're working. They're doing everything they can to save the ship. They're praying to their gods. Just so you know, typically a god would be this little idol you would carry around, and he was usually good at something. Hopefully localized to where you were at. That was the kind of God they expected. So when Jonah steps up and he says, I, I worship this God and, well, he made everything, including the land I came from and the sea you're used to, they should be terrified. They understand this isn't little God. This is a giant God. This is a God who's capable of everything and who controls and overrules whatever they're doing. They're seeking even being willing to gamble, that's what casting lots was. But even when they get the designator that says, oh, it's Jonah, they go, uh, maybe you just know whose fault it is. We're not going to blame you. They're some of the greatest examples of faithfulness and reaching out and caring for the people around them, even willing to offer sacrifices. And it's convicting to me to notice how often do people outside of the church show faithfulness better than we do? How often do they put us to shame in the way that they act? We all know the man who will keep his word no matter what. It's something he's committed to. Whatever he says goes. Whatever he says, he will follow through. We know that the couple in the marriage game where you go through who's got the highest number of anniversaries, it's not always the Christian couple. I have a coworker who's striving to base his moral life, and he doesn't believe in God. And so he's trying to say, I can be moral just based on what I make up. And he's realizing that that doesn't work. How do you teach it to your kid if you just made it up and claimed that that was right? I have to admire his integrity of following what he does believe. He refuses to believe this, which I do keep offering. But... He is working through what he really believes. And he told me the last time I asked him about it, he said, you know what, come back to me in about a year. I will have landed somewhere, and I'll be ready to talk about it. That's the kind of faithfulness we often see. Notice God is using Jonah to reach out to people who are being faithful but has no idea who he is. He says, your faithfulness is misdevoted. Let me show you who to give it to. He's not worried that Jonah is rebelling. He's not worried that Jonah is going to mess it up. And no, this isn't that God really wanted Jonah to rebel and he was going to make it good. This is God using Jonah's bad thing and saying, I will turn good out of it anyway. I am even able to deal with that. God provides. And he provides for us and lets us know that faithfulness is known and understood by everyone. Faithfulness isn't just something we see here. Everyone knows it's good. And yes, they're all watching. That's what they're doing. They're watching us to see how our faithfulness is. Have you ever noticed that divorce statistics in the church are quoted all the time? Well, divorce statistics in the church are equal to those of people outside. They're trying to show that we aren't faithful, that we don't follow a God, that it doesn't matter, and that God doesn't have power. It's actually not what those statistics mean. 
You see, if you run the statistics on people who started committed to God's word, they made a marriage and put their wedding together based on God's word, and they lived according to God's word while they're in it, the divorce statistics are strikingly lower. So why are they so high in the church? Because hurting people seek God. We draw people in. We show them that God is faithful when everything around us is falling apart. He's the one that we should make sacrifices to. He's the one who loves us and cares for us when nothing else seems to be working. Faithfulness being known by all asks us, how does your faithfulness look when everyone's watching? How does it look when you're outside, everywhere you go? We saw how Jonah's looked and where it got him. So let's continue with verse in chapter 2. It says, from inside the fish, finally, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again to your, your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. And yes, we can all go, ew. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Jonah finally prays. Now, I want you to notice because, you know, we all go through these things, right? When does Jonah finally pray? It's when not only he's tried to run from God, he's tried to kill himself or really have somebody else kill him. And even that didn't work. He's not just dead, he's undead. Literally, God won't let him die. Three days in a fish, and this guy's laying there going... Well, that didn't work at all. <laughs> That's who Jonah is. That's where he's at. And he finally says, I know what I have to do. I'm going to have to make good on who I've promised I would be. Jonah finally prays to the Lord. And one of the fun things about this is seeing the way that he does it. He makes some of the most beautiful poetry in the entire Bible. He pulls in scripture. He pulls in psalms. He pulls in references to God and who he is. It's amazing. Don't be too amazed. He had three days to figure it out. You don't need a piece of paper. You can't see anything else to be distracted. Except maybe the seaweed, right? This is where Jonah's at. And he grabs on to the only thing he has left. He grabs on to God's promises. 
You see, we might not notice it, but he says, when my life is ebbing away, I look to you and to your holy temple. Why? He can't see God's temple. He probably doesn't know which way Jerusalem is anymore with the fish swimming around. Why does he do it? In 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 37 through 40, Solomon is dedicating this brand new, beautiful temple that they've just created. God has provided for it, has built it up, and Solomon comes to him and he says, Dear Lord, when your people mess up, when they blow it and you send them away and they get sent as far as can be and they're in exile and bad things are happening to them and they look to your holy temple, then act with mercy towards them. Jonah knows there is only one place he can trust. He knows who God really is. He's just fighting against it. He's just running. Notice that he does also promise himself to be faithful. One of those things that took a few weeks for me to see in this was that this is a prayer of repentance. He says, what I have vowed, I will make good. What has Jonah vowed? He's vowed to deliver God's messages. And here he is running away. Going, ah, there's no way I'm telling them that. I don't like them. He repents. He comes to God and says, I'll do what you told me to. I will do what I said I would. And God takes care of it. You see, faithfulness is keeping your promises. It's probably the basic definition of faithfulness. All of us know and understand and expect and express. Faithfulness is keeping your promises. And it asks a simple question, do you? What promises do you need to keep? to your family, to those around you, to your kids. It is something we have to be careful. It's an illustration of being careful of what we promise. I recently watched a movie, and it's about the Von Trapp family, and they're made famous by The Sound of Music. Pretty much everybody's at least heard of it. Lots of singing. You might not like it very much. There's another book, another movie made by the eldest daughter whose name's not Liesl, which was really confusing. And... It talks about her actual recollections of what was happening. And when her mother was taken out of the house because she was ill, she remembers, you know, it goes back before The Sound of Music, and, and she remembers her mother being taken out of the house without the kids being told, and she turns to her dad and says, will we see her again? And her father says, yes, I promise. Well, her mother dies. The next time the children see her is in a casket. And she looks at her father and says, you lied to me. And his response is, never again, I promise. You see, it's not about us making bad promises. We need to make sure that we learn <laughs> some promises aren't ours to make. When we claim that somebody, when we claim property or power over life and death, that's, that's quite a promise for us to be making. We're claiming to be God. When we claim perfection, we claim the same thing. It's also not about keeping bad promises. Proverbs 6 verses 1 through 3 tells you, if you've made a bad promise, if you've struck your hand in pledge for another, in other words, I will give you a million dollars as long as she does this. I'm claiming somebody else's responsibility. It says, go and fall on your knees. Don't let sleep come upon your eyelids. Beg yourself out of this problem. Because you have no right making bad promises. 
So be careful what you promise because faithfulness is keeping your promises. The hard part for me about this chapter is that God's example of faithfulness is to somebody who just flat out doesn't deserve it. Anybody notice that about Jonah? He's whiny. He gets angry. His priorities stink. They're all out of whack. This is the guy that God decides to pour out his faithfulness on. He actually honors the promise that Jonah gives. He's rebelling against him, and God is being faithful. And God smiles and says, yeah, just like me. I mess up all the time, and God still is faithful. Ever have that feeling? Ever notice that? God's not standing there with a stick waiting for you to flop so he can go, ha, no more promises for you. God's going to be faithful to this rebellious guy. And so God provides Which brings us back to the last line of Jonah's statement. Salvation comes from the Lord. How did we get salvation? Jesus died on a cross. It hurt. God knew what the price was. He knew how difficult it was to save a rebellious group of people. Just like me. It's never about how much it hurts. God understands that. He knows that what he's asking for is difficult, and he asks it anyway. And he doesn't just save Jonah. You see, he could have had the fish vomit Jonah out in the middle of the ocean, or next to a boat somewhere, or near the shore. But it says, God commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Anybody ever noticed fish have a hard time on dry land? They have an even harder time getting back, right? God goes as far as it possibly takes to reach out and be faithful to you every time. He's amazing. He gives. He reaches out. He's always willing to go that far. Going on in Jonah chapter 3. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be utterly destroyed. (laughs) The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, the king of the greater part of the known world at the time, he himself rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Jonah 
walks into the city and preaches. Notice it says that a, a visit there required three days. There's 120,000 people. It's this giant city, and it never tells us about anything after the first day. Jonah's message spread like wildfire. Somehow it made it to the king. Why would he care that some random foreigner was claiming that they'd be destroyed? Here's Jonah, who's doing what God forced him to. Forty more days, Nineveh will be overturned. No, there's no chance of redemption. Don't ask, please, because I want God to get you. And yet, everyone listens. All of them, from the greatest to the least, humble themselves. They don't just humble themselves a little bit and say, okay, we'll take off the gold robe today. They all put on sackcloth, sit in the dust. They don't eat or drink. This can only last so long. They understand they're in the wrong spot. And it's not just about their physical behavior. They actually give up their long-term behavior. Give up your violence. Give up your evil ways. It changes the course of the entire generation. They go the distance. And what we see from this is that faithfulness is better when it's not for us. Jonah is faithful for somebody else. And it works beautifully. It's not about what he's going to get out of it. In fact, he, he's not really happy with what he gets out of it. It begs us to ask the question of why do you do what you do? Do you keep your words so that you look good? Do you keep your words so everybody can say that about you? When you're doing it for you, it just doesn't work. It's not the same. And so God relents. God is faithful to why he sent Jonah there in the first place. Why bother preaching it if he isn't going to do something if they pay attention? God is faithful. Which leads us to chapter 4. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He cried out. He prayed to the Lord. Oh, Lord, isn't that what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, because it's better for me to die than to live. And God said, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah went out and sat at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and ease his discomfort. And Jonah was really happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head, so he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? 
You see, Jonah knew his God. I knew when I was at home that you would do this. You would be nice to the people I hate, Lord, and I'd rather die than live in this world. The struggle with Jonah is realizing that he's fighting against God because he knows him. He knows him too well. It's probably something that makes me as nervous as can be. It's not about how much I know about God, but whether I trust his faithfulness. You see, God will be faithful to his character no matter what. 2 Timothy 2.13 tells us that if you and I are faithless, he will remain faithful because he cannot deny himself. He can't stop being faithful. It's part of who he is. And that's what makes it a character trait, is making it part of who we are. You see, faithfulness is based on a God who is faithful no matter what. No matter what happens to us, it is just part of who he is. He made you, the animals, the fish, the sea, the land, and he cares about everything he's made. And not just everything, but everything. And he's faithful to that care, no matter what. It asks us, why would anyone be faithful if God isn't? It's only based on him. His character welling up inside of us. The spirit working to produce that. To make us care enough about people around us. To actually reach out. One of the interesting points about the book of Jonah is that it ends on a question. Shouldn't God be concerned? It doesn't answer the question. It doesn't tell us what Jonah did. Because it's not about Jonah's answer to these questions. It's about yours. It's about mine. Would you stand with me? As we finish today, the questions that we have and the reason why I gave you questions is because it is all about your answers to these questions. How are you going to respond? How do you notice? And what do you do? How do you let faithfulness be inside of you? Do you run from a God who you know is faithful no matter what? How do you respond when God asks you to do something you just flat out don't want to? How do you respond when he, pro- when he challenges you to live according to his word and the promises that he gives? How do you respond when he prompts you to share about Jesus with a coworker, somebody on the side of the street, somebody who just needs it? How do you respond when he gives you time to spend, gives you a chance to spend time with somebody who's hurt you, who you know he wants you to work with, wants you to forgive? How do we respond? How does faithfulness work out in us?